welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. Let's read this together on three. One, two, three, read. Um, so I'll do like the first service because even though there's more people here, so y'all are without excuse. Let's read with a little bit more fervor. Um, we're talking about the word of God and, and, and a text that's, that's pretty to the point. Uh, read it like you mean it. One, two, three, read. Yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> amen, <laughs> amen. Um, so y'all know how we do in this context, right? Uh, uh, especially uh, uh, here at Epiphany, you got to tag the text. So I'm going to title this today, Ready, Willing, and Able, the Unstoppable Combination. Ready, Willing, and Able, the Unstoppable Combination. Go ahead, have a seat. Let's dive into God's word together. 
So when I'm reading scripture, and hopefully you're like this too, sometimes I fail at it, but sometimes I succeed, and I try to do this more often than not. I try to, when I'm reading narratives, place myself there, right? Even though I wasn't there, I imagine, depending on what's described in scripture, and in my imagination, what's it like? What did it smell like? What it, who was around? How did it sound, right? So that when you're reading narratives like Jesus cleansing the temple, you're not just reading words on a page. You're like, yeah, that was wild. He went in there and flipped tables over, whipped somebody, pulled somebody's beard out. So you're not just glossing over words on a page. I want you to place yourself here and imagine what it was like, uh, uh, what it would be like witnessing something like this. So envision it. Uh, but first, before we get to this, uh, the context. At this juncture in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus, who is the Christ, has been doing his thing. I mean, he, he's kind of blowing up. He was baptized by John the baptizer first. Uh, he went through an intense 40-day period of being tempted by the Satan in the wild. Uh, he began his earthly ministry. He selected disciples. Uh, he preached and taught the good news of God uh, in the synagogues with authority. He drove out many evil and unclean spirits. He healed many people of diseases already at this juncture. And this is just Mark chapter 1. In, his, in Mark's account, uh, Jesus has done a lot. At the beginning of his ministry, he's gaining notoriety in the area of Galilee. He's becoming sought after. People are hearing about him. Uh, at this point, I guess to give you an equivalent for today, imagine, right, this kid from Nazareth, this guy uh, uh, who, who people know as uh, son of Joseph, Joseph and Mary's boy. Some may even still like, you know, have that thought in their heads like, yeah, that's the dude who his pop may not really be his pop, his mom said, right, depending on what they heard. So this is um, who are now becoming a hood legend, right? And that's like people hearing about him like, yo, um, this dude done this, I've seen this, he's done this. Um, so in our context, it would be like he's almost validated. He's social media blue check verified, right? He's, he's, he's becoming validated. People are coming to him. Uh, sometimes in droves, everybody know. Now, you can imagine in today's context, if you have a, 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 a ministry or ministers of healing today, because of our nasty human proclivity and sin, uh, we would capitalize on it, right? <laughs> we, would, we would monetize it, you know? We would say, oh, uh, such and such can heal. Let's get these people around you, right? We're going to have people come to the service for the $100 healing line. We're going to have people come for the $500 healing line. And then for the people with real faith and real money, the $1,000 healing line in the middle, bring Jesus up, let him do his thing, wave his cloak or whatever the case may be. But Jesus did not capitalize on this in a monetary sense, right? He was not uh, pimping the people, so to speak. He was genuinely concerned. And in the midst of this hoopla surrounding him, he kept his focus and knew what it is that he was came, what he came to do. So let's dive deep into this now, and uh, we're going to talk about three things. Jesus' readiness to make someone clean, Jesus' willingness to make someone clean, and Jesus' ability to make someone clean, all right? Now, the man who approached Jesus in his bold desperation in this narrative had leprosy. And now, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a room this size, I don't want to assume, right, some of you have been churched and been in the faith and known Jesus maybe for longer than I've been alive. 
Some of you may be here for the first time, your first time in church. I don't know. So I don't want to do the Christianese thing and just kind of gloss over words. We're going to explain some things on a very elementary level, uh, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence. So uh, let's talk about what leprosy is. I've heard that word before. What is that? So in biblical times and narratives, it was any number of noticeable and potentially infectious skin diseases with symptoms of scaly or peeling skin or scabbing skin. In some cases were so severe and prolonged that a person's fingers, nose, ears, or other pieces of their body would seemingly rot and in some cases fall off. Pretty nasty. Leprosy was incurable and was often a cultural and societal sign of uncleanliness both physically and spiritually. Uncleanliness both physically and spiritually. At times, leprosy was likely brought about due to unsanitary conditions, right? They didn't have all the hand sanitizer we have today, all of the medical facilities and the medicine and the drugs and all of these treatments and studies of medicine. So um, it would be easier for something like this to spread. At other times, it was a representation of God's judgment or a curse as a result of the transgression against God. So in some senses, it was a real-life representation or illustration of sin's destructive and disfiguring power. All right? So when we would see this sometimes, right, in Scripture, right, that this idea of the finger of God can sometimes mean uh, that you are, are cursed with something, right? And sometimes in biblical narratives, we see things like uh, people assuming, uh, why is it that this person is born blind? What did they do? Why is it that this person has leprosy? What is it? Uh, that uh, who has transgressed against God to bring this upon themselves, right? That, that was the thought in many people's minds. Now, Leviticus 13 and 14, I know that we're all excited to read through Leviticus in our daily devotions, right? <laughs> law after law after law after law, right? Um, uh, it was determined, uh, or if it was determined that the person uh, who was infected with leprosy um, they would have to have this confirmed by a priest, right? They were the rule and control at that time. Uh, if it was determined that a person was infected with leprosy, they had to wear torn clothes. Um, they had to let their hair hang loose. I, that wouldn't apply to me because my hair follicles don't do that anymore. So, uh, but they would have to hair, let their hair hang loose and cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Wherever they went, this is their lot in life, all right? Um, they were to remain unclean as long as they had the disease and were required to live alone, away from everyone else. Leprosy and touching a dead body were even two of the most serious ways that uh, uh, the people of God or a Jewish person could defile themselves or be unclean. People with leprosy were so detested that they were not allowed to live in any community with their own people. That's numbers five. They sometimes lived in a community with other lepers until they either got better or until they died. It was not a pleasant existence. So consider all of this in context when you read of this man approaching Jesus in his desperation and asking to be clean. Imagine the position, his mind, what he's coming from and his desperation. So for those that like taking notes, try to make three salient points, hopefully salient, uh, uh, for you to remember today. The first point is 
Jesus is the ultimate intersection of willingness and ability. Jesus is the ultimate intersection of willingness and ability. It was March uh, 14th, 2022, a day that may forever live in infamy, at least in my mind. The Philadelphia 76ers played the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I got y'all. Y'all thought it was going to be serious. Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, both potential MVPs at that time. Uh, that decision's been made. I have my own personal opinions. I'm not going to do that right now. But um, they're going head to head. This is the stuff that sports folklore is made of. You, you want that, that storyline behind something. So this was uh, in a game. They were coming to Philly to play. The, the, um, uh, both teams battling for seeding in their respective East and West conferences with the hopes of entering the playoffs with the best possible positioning to win the championship. That's what you do it for, for the ring. But maybe even more important than that game was the game that was played beforehand on the 76ers floor. This game featured Epiphany Fellowship pickup ball all-stars. All right, some of us laced the sneakers up, put the ball shorts on, and, and got to it. Uh, we had people like uh, Kevin Deal who was out there facilitating and controlling the game. We had people like Pastor Vernon Mobley, who probably wants to use this as a bragging point, splitting defenses. You had Kamir Petit, the light-skinned assassin, pulling up from deep. Uh, you had Pastor Curtis Dunlap letting him fly. Uh, we had uh, Steph Brown doing what seven-footers do, Joe King, uh, diving on the floor for loose balls, Steph Stevens, rebounding like Rodman, Drew Wilcox penetrating the lane, even my team's son was out there running up and down a 94-foot court, his lungs not collapsing like the rest of us. Right? I tried to get on a treadmill heading up to this, and it just still, that didn't work. So I was out there, too, and I quickly realized a few minutes in, I ain't no spring chicken no more. In my head, I like, you know, in my head, I, you know, I think I'm like, you know, still 22 again, you know. I'm visualizing epic crossovers I've done before or, you know, some other great play. Well, those days are gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So uh, I tip the ball, get a steal. I'm salivating. It's an easy two. It's a layup. I'm having a horrible game anyway. I want these two points. As I tip the ball and take off in the other direction, my phone was vibrating. It was my hamstring that texted me. It was like, nah, bro, we not going to do this today. And if y'all ever seen anybody with a hamstring injury, you know what happens because they, they pull up and immediately, you know, it's a wrap for them. You've seen it in track, football, basketball, other types of sports. Uh, I immediately was uh, rendered uh, uh, useless at that point. <laughs> Even though I wasn't producing that much at that point, right? But I quickly uh, came to the realization that though in my mind, I was fully ready and willing to get it on. I was fully, I, we was trash talking, having a good time. I was ready, but my body was no longer able. I had every good intention of going out there and balling, but my body was not able. So by contrast, we see that Jesus the Christ is never in this position. He is willing, but also always able to follow through on what he is willing to do. 
When willingness intersects with ability or preference intersects with power or want to intersects with actually can do, there's potential for something powerful to pop off. Ability changes everything. I'm gonna make the correlation for y'all. Uh, 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 it doesn't matter how good-hearted we perceive Jesus to be or how good-hearted he actually is if he has no ability to actually act on what he wants to do. He can want to save your soul and want to redeem you, but if the Messiah had no power, it would mean nothing. He would be a well-intentioned man who was killed a long time ago. That's not the case. See, the Christian's faith falls apart if Jesus has no power or capability. But let me run down a couple of verses for y'all, some, some examples to prove otherwise. See, Jesus was willing to leave a lofty position in heaven and put on flesh, but he was also able to. Right. See, Philippians 2 talks about this idea, right, of, of, of him humbling himself, coming down. Right. Uh, uh, is that's not enough? How about this? Uh, Jesus was willing to lay down his life as a sacrifice and pick it up again, but also able to. That changes the game. Right. John 10, 18. No one. This is boss language right here. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and to take it up again. Yeah. Right. Jesus, another one, is willing to forgive sins, but also able to, right? I, listen, I, I, I love y'all, right? Um, some of you I know more than others, and if I could do well for you, I could. But I'm a limited human. I, I just don't have the ability, right, to, to forgive your sins, right? One does. See, Jesus was willing to, but also able to. So in all these aspects and more, it would be one thing if Jesus was willing but not able, meaning that he doesn't have the requisite power. He wants to, but can't do nothing about it, right? Now, it would be another thing if he was able but not willing, right? And that would point to, well, he has the power to, but he just don't care. He's not compassionate. Or even worse, would, uh, you know, a God that would be evil, right? Both extremes would be scary, but we should be thankful today that Jesus is both willing and, right, I don't think I hear y'all. He is both willing and changes the game. So in verse 40, notice the man who is not uh, identified, he's not identified by anything here except his condition. Right? Now, that's not to trivialize him as a, as a person, but the point of, the, of Mark's gospel account here is the fact that who he is and what his name is is irrelevant. What matters is his destitute condition and the Messiah that he met who could change the condition. This lets us know what we should zoom in on. This desperate man presents his request seemingly already aware of what Jesus is capable of. Remember, we, we set the stage earlier. He has already been doing his thing throughout Galilee. People know who he is. People have seen, uh, have seen what he does. So the question on the floor at this point is not, Jesus, can you make me clean? But instead, Jesus, will you make me clean? In other words, Jesus, would you? This is a, this is a character assessment. Um, um, Jesus, are you the type to? Um, uh, see, he's not dealing with the Son of God on a level of questioning his power. He's already heard and maybe even seen some of the things that Jesus does. He's making an appeal to Jesus' compassion and character. 
What's this miracle worker's character like? I know what he can do, but will he do it for me? Listen, as a human, you can want to all you want to, uh, but it means nothing when the rubber meets the road. It all boils down to what you can actually do. So wanting to and being able to are two completely different ends of the spectrum. You can do something even if you don't want to, right? If you have the power to do so. Uh, however, you can't do something uh, or get something done solely because you want to with no ability to do it. I'll make it plain for y'all, right? Um, uh, uh, growing up, right, my, my upbringing, uh, I came from Charlotte, North Carolina, right? North Cacalac. Anybody from the South in here? No? Man, I'm alone? Really? Thank you. Thank you. I'll holler at you after. So, um, but, you know, in, in the tradition of the South, not only the South, but, you know, I grew up where, you know, I was told to go to church. It was non-negotiable. It's what was going to You put on your slip bottoms, your church shoes, and you get up. And I knew that it was going to be a long day, right? Because you go to church, you eat in the basement, you come back up for second service, don't know when you're going to be home. Now, um, it, it, the, the whole nine, right? Long day, right? But I have vivid memories of older saints, especially a lot of older moms in the church, who, who had a presence in that church, right? Taylorsville, South Carolina, Smith Grove Baptist Church back in the day, off a of dirt road, right? And so, you know, they'd come up to me, right, in the church and hand me a little mint, you know, a little the strawberry candy or a little peppermint or a Werther's original or something like that, hand it to me, right? And, you know, get you a little 50 cent, little 75 cent. You know, if they was balling, they might give you a whole dollar bill, you know, and then, you know, they always, how you doing, baby? You know, I was talking to your mom. You, know, you okay in school, baby? How you doing? You know, it's okay. And they would always end the conversation with a little hug and say, it's okay, baby. God is able, right? Would always say those things. And those things, those words meant nothing to me then. As I lived a little bit longer and experienced some things, it took on a whole new meaning. But what's funny is, um, I started uh, uh, kind of making a comparison to what we often uh, do, uh, sad to say, in, in church culture, right? For so long and so many years, people like that have been, uh, uh, or, or, you know, they don't know the lofty things about God, right? They haven't been to seminary, right? Uh, they're theologically off or whatever the case may be. Let me say this, big words and lofty concepts learned in, in a seminary, no, no shade to, to formal education, but that doesn't equate to intimacy with God or deep knowledge of what he's like concerning the things of God. Let me tell you, the old school saints, they knew with every fiber in their being, because I know I got a few in here, that God is able and they lived according to that truth, pressing through all sorts and types of darkness sustained by that truth. They were encouraged by scriptures like this, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. They would, they would, they would rest and, and hum and probably knit in a, in, in a rocking chair and read verses like Ephesians 3, 20, right? Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Or they would always pull you aside and, and reference that Daniel uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 
Uh, you know, remember, baby, them Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to, need to give you a reply concerning this. If our God whom we serve exists, he is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Jeremiah 32, 27. They would say this sometimes. Look, I am Yahweh. The God of all flesh is anything too difficult for me. Right? A rhetorical question to which the obvious answer is no. <laughs> there is nothing too hard for God. So these are, are, are the people who knew, and hopefully some of you are in here, know that God is able, right, through mountaintops and valleys uh, and seeing and experience God's power and character, knowing that he is able. Now, in this narrative, the question remains at this juncture, it's not Jesus' ability. It's his willingness. This man with leprosy knew that all that stood in between him and what he wanted, which is to be made clean, would be whether or not Jesus was willing. Some of us don't really wrestle with God's ability. We wrestle with desiring what he can and will do for us. Right? When you pray and we sanitize our prayers and we don't ask for certain things, right, or we don't approach God based on his character, right, or even though some of us are good intentioned, but, you know, we, we mask it and say, if it be your will, right? Well, obviously, he does what he wants. He's sovereign, so he's going to do his will. But <laughs> do we really trust the hand and heart of God, right? Uh, we know that he's able, but sometimes it's not even that. Do we even want to be made clean, right? This man came in desperation and begged Jesus on his knees, knowing exactly what he wanted. And sometimes we just may love our mess and dirt too much. We know that Jesus is able. We may even know that Jesus is willing, but we just may not want to be clean. Point two uh, in verse 41, Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus touches the untouchable. I'll read it. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing is what he said. I don't think y'all know what's going on here. All right. Remember what lepers in this day were required to do. Remember the societal and the cultural uh, uh, position that this man is in here now. Right. First of all, you're rolling up on a Jewish man. Right. Uh, I don't know whether he yelled unclean or not. Uh, but the point is that the very notion that he is approaching him is you're already out of pocket. The very notion that Jesus would touch him. It, 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 it should be mind-blowing, right? Um, uh, it's important to remember here also that uh, Jesus is not one that can be contaminated. We often think about God incorrectly, right? We think that our sin, though it offends God, is somehow so not necessarily not off-putting to God, but as if it puts up some type of barrier that God cannot go through, right? Understand uh, all that Jesus has done, right? When he cleanses a leper, that's not just a momentary thing. All, that's a microcosm of Jesus' macro ministry. The fact that he comes down at all in the first place shows that he comes to touch the untouchable. 
Right. The fact, so the, the fact that we can sit here and think that it's normative, that we can read word, God's word, understand God's word, love one another, forgive one another, uh, uh, do all of these things, that's not normal. Right. The, the fact that God can cross an, 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 an uncrossable gap. Right. Unfathomable chasm and touch the untouchable. That's who we're dealing with. So this in this verse, this directly deals with um, uh, Jesus being willing. Of course, he's willing. He touches the untouchable, right? Now, we know this very well. We're in the middle of a pandemic still. Well, trying to come on off the, the back end of it. Lord willing, God, please, right? But look, look at us, right? We have masks on, right? Everywhere you go, hand sanitizer, right? If you're smart, you probably would have invested in, in, in some type of hand sanitizer a couple of years ago. You'd probably be making bank right now. But so we're used to this notion of backing up and not wanting to be infected with any type of virus, right? You don't want to touch what is unclean or has a virus because you yourself do not want to be contaminated, right? In Mark's account of this encounter, Jesus initiates contact with the unclean. Jesus is rolling up on COVID without a mask on, right? Touching and healing and not contracting COVID. Amazing, right? So he reaches out. Uh, the clean touches the unclean. Not worried about contamination of himself because he knows he's already going to bear this contamination on the cross uh, at, at the pinnacle of his ministry, right? So he makes what and who is unclean now clean. Now, this is what we love about God. He's an initiator. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word tome uh, is translated as unclean. Uh, in Leviticus, um, it's used around uh, about 100 times. Um, there's an obvious juxtaposition between clean, obviously, and unclean. Sometimes that correlates with holy and unholy or, ho uh, or holy and common. Right. So when God uses someone or, or when or when something is supposed to be used for him in worship, it is not to be common. Right. It is not to be unholy. It's supposed to be set apart specifically for God, which points to how holy and lofty he is. Right. Y'all notice. Right. This 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 points to the fact that everything is started by and initiated by God. You and your redemption and your salvation doesn't start with you saying, God, I'm sorry, I repent. It starts with understanding that you don't make a standard, right, that he's high and lofty. And then in comparison to that, you recognize that, oh, I don't meet that standard. So the natural response is, God, I repent. I, I, I'm sorry. Right. And so this um, um, this idea of holy and unholy, clean and unclean is common in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus. Right. The people of God, um, according to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, were supposed to learn how they were to live as God's holy nation. That's Exodus 19, among other peoples. Many things could be deemed unclean. Right. Animals could be unclean. Right. Uh, uh, pigs or certain types of sacrifices, objects, food, clothing, actions. I won't get into all of it, but, you know, if you want to have a good and interesting time, like I said, read Leviticus. Right. All of these 611, 613 laws that we can't, that no one could keep anyway. Right. And so um, it was considered unfit to be used in worship to God. This is the position all people are in. 
right? Uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I have not done any residency, but I'll say this. I'm going to diagnose you now. If you have not gotten the point of the verse, you're not reading about a leper. You're the leper, right? I'm telling you that you have a disease that, that is, 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 you're untouchable. You're incurable. There's one that can cure it. You're technically not even fit to worship God. You're not set aside without the, the, the powerful work of Christ. So, so now, now this is funny, right? Think about this, right? In, 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 in all of God's creation, everything does what it's supposed to do, right? Now, even, even though we live in, in a sin-marred world, still, in general, everything does what it's supposed to do. The, you look at tree, it shows off the glory of God. The, the rock, uh, molecules, the, the, like things we see and don't see, all of these things bend to the power and the mercy of God, right? And, and, and when I say God, I'm including uh, uh, the triune God, Jesus himself. We see in John 1 and in Colossians 1 that Jesus is involved in creation, right? And so every, everything does what it's supposed to do. And then here we have this anomaly, humans, people, right? The crown of God's creation, the ones made in his image, the ones who have a proclivity to, to, to buck against God's order, right? And so um, um, we are not even fit to worship God, right, without being made clean, right? In a natural sense, yes, but in, in a spiritual sense, no. So um, we want to take a moment here to kind of go back to like I was saying earlier, place yourself in the moment, all right? Imagine being this man, what it was like. Use your empathy here. Like, we don't, we don't do that a lot, right? You know, we pray for people, you know, and we say, I'll pray for you. But you don't really know what it was like if they, you know, when they had a miscarriage, right? You said you pray for them, but you don't, you don't enter into their pain. Or somebody who's dealing with depression or drug addiction or lost a parent or dealing with a divorce or whatever the case may be. So use your empathy here, right? Try to turn it on 10. Um, it is possible that this man hasn't felt the touch of another human in a long time. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly how long this man had leprosy, right? But let, let's just go on the low end, right? Relatively low and say it was a year. This man uh, has to be ostracized, pushed away from community and not touched and have to identify himself as less than unclean, unclean, for all of his existence, for as long as he's had leprosy. Multiply that times however much if he's dealt with this for 10, 15 years. Imagine what that does to somebody's psyche and somebody's heart, right? Imagine how you think about the next person, like, and then how you think about God. What, why did I, why, why do I have this, right? It, it may even impact what we think about God, right? Um, he has been excluded, ostracized, looked down on, avoided at all costs. And here comes this man, Jesus, whom he approaches. Jesus does not step back, but Jesus leans in and touches him. Telling the man, first touching the man, <laughs> actions speak louder than words, and then telling the man that he is willing. So Jesus gets his hands dirty figuratively and literally out of compassion. Now, some translations say that Jesus was moved with compassion. Right? And, and theologians debate about this sometimes too. Other translations may say uh, um, uh, he was indignant, right? 
Um, and so uh, it's my belief that it doesn't matter which way you, so Jesus would either be moved by compassion that he wants to heal his creation, right? Or Jesus could very well be upset. Why are you asking me if I'm willing? This is what I'm here, ain't I? This is what I came down for. I came for this purpose. In either case, Jesus is moved in his emotion to act on this man's behalf. He came down to dwell with humans. He has, quote unquote, skin in the game, right? He is vested in his creation. Of course, he wants to do well for uh, his people. Now, um, it's important that we under understand and see ourselves as untouchable. We are the leper. So point three, last point, then I'll be out your way. Um, it, why everybody always say that? That's a bit, I'll be out your way. Um, everything responds to Jesus. Everything responds to Jesus. So we see in verse 42, immediately, <laughs> immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It may come as no surprise to us that not everything responds to us. For those with an office job, you may relate to this, right? You need to get something done or, uh, or whatever the case may be, and, 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 and sometimes you can run into trouble. You, you send that, that polite email, you know, per my last request. <laughs> that's, that's when we being rude but polite, right? <laughs> right? You need to get something done, right? Maybe your, your higher up is asking you to do something, and you're depending on somebody else. They're breathing fire on your neck, and you're trying to push somebody else. Look, I need this, right? And so... Um, uh, uh, what you do is you ask, nothing happens. Then you might politely request, nothing happens. You make a more forceful demand, nothing happens. You may even make a polite and professional threat, like if you pull rank. Maybe you got your little assistant director tied on you, like, yo, I need this by close of business today, and still, nothing happens. You know how you get something to happen? You, you, you CC the boss or the CEO on the email, and then what happens after that, right? Immediate, the thing is done yesterday, right? Because everybody in that company position knows who has the power and the authority, right? It's the same way. See, see Jesus don't need to CC anybody. He has all power and authority in himself, and this is why the leprosy left not tomorrow, two weeks later. It left immediately. People and systems... And things will respond when the proper authority is involved. Jesus is the proper authority involved. The centurion and his servant in scripture knew about Jesus' authority and that everything responds to Jesus. He himself was a man under authority. He knew that Jesus didn't even have to physically go to the location where his servant was sick. He knew that all Jesus had to do was say or confirm that something was done, and it was done. He understood Jesus' authority. Lazarus and all those who saw him come back from the dead heard and knew about Jesus' authority and that everything responds to Jesus. Jesus' own disciples who saw a small amount of bread and fish multiplied into enough to feed thousands knew about Jesus' authority over the mathematical laws and that everything responds to Jesus. Jesus walking on water caused Peter to know about Jesus' authority over the laws of physics and that everything responds to Jesus. 
Jesus quelling the fears of his disciples by rebuking and calming the wind. And see, he speaks to the who rebukes a storm. Like, who does that, right? He speaks to the storm and calms it, and they know about Jesus' authority immediately. They even say, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey this man? Even demons know about Jesus' authority. They, at times, wouldn't even speak because he would not let them because they knew who he was. Or sometimes they would request um, where they could be cast into. That's because Jesus has authority even over his opposition. And death and the grave, they know all too well about Jesus' authority. <laughs> they tried to jam him up and could not. So, of course, this leprosy that was ravaging this man's body knows about Jesus' authority and left immediately. Look, I'm going to close real quick. The issue for us today is sometimes we don't recognize that we're the untouchable. Healthy people don't need a doctor, right? Uh, uh, Mark 2.17 talks about Jesus and him coming to, 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 for the sick, right? He's not coming for people who are well, all right? You don't have a need for repentance or Jesus. Well, you have one, but you, there's nothing that Jesus is going to do for you if you don't even recognize that you're untouchable, right? If you can't say, you know what, my hip hurts, I need to go to the doctor, you, what's, what help can be given to you, right? This man was helped because he knew. He knew who he was going to and he knew his desperate condition. The question is, do we know our desperate condition for Jesus? And that is for believers and unbelievers. So if you're in here today and you've heard about Jesus um, in whatever capacity, right? I'm telling you, and many people can witness here today that God is able he has capability and power, right? And I don't even, I'm not even talking about anything in your, in, your, in your natural life. I'm talking about to bring you just spiritually from death to life, right? We, have, we, we want to adhere to all of these, these things, right? We say that, you know, oh, oh, God is great, and, 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 and I, want, uh, you know, I want God to accept me in, in the afterlife or, or let me into his heaven, right? We can make this mental ascent to spiritual things, right? But we have a hard time believing that God is able and has power. And you hold guilt in yourself that God won't approach you, won't touch you, because you're too contaminated. That's false. God came for that very purpose. And then there's believers who have known, seen, and experienced the power of God. And we often forget Life trials and circumstances cause us to get a little spiritual amnesia, right? Did he not bring you from spiritual death to life, right? So your chronic illness, your, 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 your difficulties, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you've been praying for for a long time, God is able, and not only able, he is willing, right? The question for us is, are we willing? So with that being said, if there's anybody in here and you want to place trust and faith and confidence in this Messiah that I've been talking about, uh, raise your hand. We'd love to pray with you, guide you into what it means to be in a relationship with this Messiah who makes unclean things and unclean people clean. 
rest of us. I call you to remember. What, what often motivates me in my relationship with God is regardless of how I feel, right, I'm remembering what is either true or not true, right? And so if God is who he says he is, right, then God is willing and able, right? And so I need to remember that. You need to remember that in whatever guilt you're dealing with, right? You, you know, you, you, you deal with guilt uh, from because you had an abortion. You, you uh, deal with guilt because you can't seem to shake uh, some uh, extramarital or other relationship that you're in, right? Um, God is not going to be contaminated by you. He wants to make you clean. You don't have to run from God in that regard. So for believers, it's important for you to remember that. So I'm going to pray for us now. God, your people, oh, we are needy people, <laughs> the crown of your creation, and we go astray. God, we know that you purpose to spread your glory, your fame, what you're like throughout the earth. And many times we failed in that. God, forgive us. But God, help us to remember that you desire to make us clean. You're willing to make us clean. And then most importantly, God, you have the power and ability to make us clean. So for those of us who have forgotten who you are and what you're like, remind us constantly. Help us to dig into your word and remember who you're like what you like so that our lives can benefit so that you can receive maximum glory out of our lives in the matchless name of Christ we pray amen we're going to set aside this time to do communion oh amen 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 so we have a sister here so in, in the back so if somebody can, can amen amen give me wants to know more about our relationship with Jesus. Uh, we set aside this time for communion, so you can go ahead and stand. Now, this is a reminder right here. If you ever need a reminder about uh, uh, Jesus' willingness and ability to do for us, what does Romans 5 say that while we're still sinners, right? God demonstrates his love to us in this way, right? It's at that time that Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love. So if you're ever wondering because of your situation whether God loves you or not, uh, look at the cross and you'll see. When we do this, you should remember uh, his commitment to us, his love for us. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed <laughs> by his one of his close followers. Um, he had a supper in an upstairs room. He spoke to his disciples. He took bread. He broke it. And he reminded them that he was giving his body for them. It shows that what Jesus is willing and able to do through his sacrifice. Let's eat and remember. supper he took the cup and told them what it represents blood of a new covenant a new and everlasting covenant and blood that represents redemption is to be shed for them again a reminder of Jesus' willingness and ability because think about it you can shed your blood it won't do anything you'll just die 
Jesus' shed blood led to his death and resurrection. His blood is powerful, what he's willing and able to do. Let's remember and drink. to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, ability, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Before you go in peace today, Pastor Guest going to come. both those who are visiting with us in person at the gathering at the building and also you who are worshiping with us online from a distance wherever you are throughout the earth god bless you i want to say thank you for rocking with us today i would like to inform you again just by means of connection if you want to connect with the church please text epif connect to 94000 or visit epiphanyfellowship.org forward slash connect also real brief announcements again camp hope camp hope is having registration <laughs> see them guys right see them guys doing them things all right so camp hope is having registration now uh for uh for this summer june 20th through august 12th for children ages 5 through 12 your kids grandkids any kids that you know that that would like to come attend or whatever That'll be taking place. Salt, Salt Women's Ministry. There will be meeting for Christian Life this Saturday at 10 a.m. This Saturday, ladies, for Salt. Also, Fourth Wednesday Bible Study. We're having Bible Study this coming, this forthcoming Wednesday, May 25th at 7:30. We're going through the series on the Triune Godhead, the significance and mandatory importance of this doctrine. God being triune, we're talking about this, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Epiph Academy, we are in need of more tutors. We're desperately in need of more tutors and group leaders for our after-school program. All right, so please, if you can, come through and help us out. Again, you can follow up on any of these items by visiting epiphanyfellowship.org forward slash connect or text Epiph Connect at 94,000. God bless you. Have a glorious week. May the Lord bless you and smile upon you. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.